Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, March 20th, 2022. It focuses on Jesus' courage as he faces off against his detractors. The message to all who will listen is, we can trust God when we face difficulties in life. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word, for your written word that encourages us and directs us and shows us who you are, that reveals you to us, and also for your living word, your spirit within us that helps us to understand not only what we read, but what we need to do. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us through both the written word and your living word today so that we might follow you more effectively and more faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. So between my seventh and eighth grade years, our family moved from Bangor, Iowa, a town of maybe 50 people, to Sacramento, California, a city approaching 800,000 persons. As you can imagine, school was a bit different in these two places. If I recall correctly, and I'll admit my memories are a little fuzzy, they're a long time ago, my seventh grade year at Union Witten Junior High in Iowa involved a little movement from classroom to classroom, mostly up and down a single hallway in our two-story addition to the original building. The music room was the only room that I remember that was in a different part of the building, and my class was small, maybe 30 students, probably less. I don't think there were any non-white people there. Sutter Middle School, where I spent my eighth grade year, was much larger. The student body was around 800 at the time. Uh, the population was very diverse, Asian, Hispanic, black, white, you name it, everybody was there. There were probably more teachers on the school's payroll than there were students in the old school. And they were as multi-ethnic as the teens that they taught. Among my most vivid memories of this school are being offered drugs on the very first day of school and receiving the citizenship award at an assembly toward the end of the year. And there was one more. In the first room on the left, on the top floor of the building, in what I think was my social studies class, though I don't remember exactly, this teacher, Mr. Freeze, and no, that's not the Batman supervillain, Mr. Freeze asked students who were Christians to stand up. First day of school. Seriously, it happened. I remember my heart beating wildly as I stood to my feet and I looked around and only one other student, an Asian boy I didn't know, was unseated. That's the whole memory. I don't remember ever being harassed for my faith in that class. I don't remember the teacher ever bothering us or mentioning it again. He just called out the Christians in his room at the start of the year and moved on. Really weird. I am pretty sure I've mentioned it before, but just to be sure, my heroes growing up were Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego, sorry. <laughs> Though I was nervous beyond nervous, as I rose to my feet there at Sutter Middle School, I knew that I could do it because these men, who were my heroes, had faced much more difficult situ situations with God's help. 
As you might have guessed from the story, we're going to talk today about Jesus's courage and how God emboldened him and how God gave him the courage to face these things. So before we discuss these characteristics of our master, let me share with you five prayers which you could pray each time you sit down to take in God's word. And giving credit where credit is due, these simple petitions were written by the producers of the Bible Recap Podcast, a daily read-through-the-Bible program that I and many others across the nation and maybe even around the world are using to remain consistent in our devotional reading. So, here they are. God, give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. That's what we get from God's Word and from His Spirit. Number two, God, let any knowledge I gain serve to help me love you and others more and not puff me up. Number three, God, help me see something new about you I've never seen before. So we're looking for God as we're reading. God, correct any lies I believe about you or anything I misunderstand. That's number four. And number five is God, direct my steps according to your word. In other words, as I go from my time of reading, show me how I can live this out. Good prayers, right? So, I'm going to invite Denise to come and share uh, God's word with us and to read Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if the widow and raise up the offspring up for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, 
And when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. And one of the scribes came up and heard this disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is the one, and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I put the enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace, and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had, all she had to live on. At the beginning of this chapter, we encounter one of Jesus' most outrageous parables. When I read this story, or when I read this story, I'm amazed at how cleverly Jesus uses this craziest of situations in narrative form to call out his enemies and their plans to kill him. That is their plan at this point, right? If you remember from Mark chapter 11, verse 18 last week, it says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. That's what precipitated this story. 
Who was it who wanted him dead? It was the Pharisees, the Herodians, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. Then we come to Mark chapter 12, which we're looking at today. In verse 12, the people mentioned here are the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Are these the same men? The simple answer is yes. The elders likely referred to the members of the Jewish ruling council known as the Sanhedrin. This group included both the Pharisees and the Sadducees along with the priests and the teachers of the law. The Herodians were evidently present or at least involved in this plot or were recruited soon afterwards. We know this because they show up in round two of Operation Trap the Troublemaker, which uh, begins shortly after Jesus tells this parable. If you notice in verse 13, it's the Pharisees and Herodians who pose the question about taxes. So they're involved. Same people. They've been doing this for a long time. To say that Jesus is not afraid of those he knows have murder on their minds is an understatement. He boldly calls them out. The guys he used the story to accuse, they get it. They understand that he spoke these words against them. And the crowd knows who he's pointing to as well. The former group hates him for his bold accusations. The latter seem to love him for his courage and calling these guys out. We need to be as willing to be as bold in our interactions with those who are harming others. Being careful, though, to submit our words and our actions to God's spirit for clear guidance. We are not given carte blanche to insult and slander whomever we disagree with. Our wills and our lives and our words must be ruled by Jesus, our master. If we trust him, he will give us the right attitude, which is important, and the right tone, which is also important, to carry out his will. His will be done, not ours. Now, for the stuff about the imperial tax. This encounter is far more interesting than you imagine. A little background here. The imperial tax was levied by Rome on everyone that they had conquered except for those who were full-fledged citizens of Rome. This was the annual fee that the victors exacted from the folks that they were protecting. In other words, that they had conquered. Rome required for its payment a denarius, which was a day's wage, It was a silver coin with Caesar's image imprinted on it, along with these words, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. As you can imagine, this tax and the coin used to pay it was quite unpopular with pious Jews who rejected Caesar's divinity. Many would not even carry the coin in their purse. Interestingly, Rome gave these people a non-idolatrous option, a coin without the image of Caesar exalting words. They didn't care what the coin looked like as long as it was paid to them. Should we pay or shouldn't we? That was the question. That was the question that was put to Jesus by two groups who were actually on opposite sides of this issue. The Herodians were pretty supportive of Rome. They thought it was okay because they were protecting and they were maintaining peace. The Pharisees were not okay with Rome. These two groups coming together make them look like they're unbiased as they come to Jesus. We just want to know what you think. Listen to this short passage from Jason Porterfield's book, Fight Like Jesus, which I read from last week, and I'll probably read from the next two or three weeks as well because it's really good and helps us understand these things. These words are on page 72, 
And Porterfield is talking about Jesus' words in verse 17, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So here's what he writes. The crowd quickly connected the dots. They realized Jesus was alluding to the central Jewish tenet that all of humanity is created in God's image. The implication is this. Since the coin has Caesar's image imprinted on it, give it back to him. Let him keep his idolatrous money. On the next page, Mr. Porterfield makes his case stronger. What belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God? Any Jew with any, even a cursory understanding of the scriptures would have immediately known the answer to the second question. Everything belongs to God. Your allegiance solely and completely, if you've committed your life to Jesus, is to him. 100%. When push comes to shove, you obey God rather than man. The disciples showed us the way in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. I want you to listen to Peter and John as they reply to the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law in Jerusalem, who were trying to shut them down who are telling them no longer to preach in Jesus' name. So here's what it says, Acts 4, 19 to 20, and we could have read a lot more of this story. You can look it up. Here's what they said. After they had been threatened and told not to preach in Jesus' name anymore, this is what they said to those who had told them to shut up. Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Are you, first and last, completely a citizen of God's kingdom? You obey him courageously, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what pressure is exerted on you, just like Daniel, who refused to stop praying and got thrown in the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who would not bow down to the idols that the king had set up but rather endured the fiery furnace from which God rescued them. There's a lot of good stuff in this chapter. We would run out of time if we tried to cover it all. So we're going to skip the story of Jesus dealing with the Sadducees' question about marriage and the resurrection. We're going to skip the discussion of the greatest commandments. And we're going to skip Jesus' words about whose son the Messiah is. Sorry. They're all important, and each in some way or other shows Jesus' courage as he faces them. But I covered these incidences that we were making our way through Matthew, and I want to take on the last two sections of Mark 12, which were not part of our earlier discussions. So we're ready for Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 40. Jesus boldly exposes the true nature of his detractors. These guys look good on the outside. They are publicly pious. They appear righteous to the nth degree, but they are not righteous at all. They are wicked, lovers of themselves, lovers of money and of power. There are men and women in our day who twist God's word and claim God's authority who are actually building their own empires as well. They're building their own empires rather than advancing the kingdom of God. They demand respect from others, even though their actions are not worthy of respect. They fleece the flock, taking money and using it to enrich themselves and their inner circle. They promise wealth to those who sow seeds of faith, by which they mean making large donations to my coffers. 
and people suffer for their deception while they fly around in private jets. Their punishment will last forever. And now for chapter 12's last story. I love this story, don't you? All the fancy people are throwing gold and silver into the treasury by, by the buckets full. Perhaps with a little bit of trumpet fanfare, that's hinted at in the Sermon on the Mount that people went around blowing trumpets and saying, look at me, I'm so good, here's my offering, whatever. And Jesus takes note, not of them, but of the simple woman who slips in, drops a couple of coppers worth little in the world's eyes into the, into the coffers of the temple and disappears. I am sure that the disciples had noticed the big givers. But had they seen the widow? If they hadn't, Jesus draws their eyes to her for a moment. She's the biggest giver, he says. She's gone all in. The others are there, so it seems to show off a bit, though to be fair, I can't really know their hearts. Jesus' reaction, however, implies that they aren't thinking much about God at all as they drop loads of cash into the plate. A good reminder for us of what matters in God's economy, it's your heart, not how much you write your check for, but it's your heart that God's after. The woman matches Jesus' bravery, trusting that God's going to provide for as she gives far more generously than the big spenders. She doesn't have anything left. She's trusting in him. The rest of them, eh, here's a couple bucks in reality. Do you live as trustingly as this woman? What has God said to you today? Has he encouraged you to be bold and courageous in some way? Let the Spirit speak to you as we take just a few moments in silence. Respond to what God said. Ask him what you need for boldness, for courage, for trusting, for a generous heart, whatever it is. Ask him in these few moments. God, we are less than 100% aligned with you. We're selfish and filled with pride. and We look to the world for satisfaction instead of you. We're not all in like the widow was. We make a show of righteousness, but aren't 100% in. Forgive us. God, remind us throughout this week that we owe allegiance to no other except you. And yes, we pray for our nation. We pray that its leaders would be godly and follow you and seek your wisdom at the same time acknowledging that often they don't. And so, God, we submit to you and your rule. God, help us to be faithful to you in all things, even when it costs us. Help us to be bold in our witness and courageous in our actions that we would follow no matter what the world says or does. 
no matter what kind of pressure our family, our friends may put on us, that we will submit only to you. God, tear down the idols in our lives. Can God show us the opportunities that you give to us to be a blessing to others, to go all in with you and to show your love in practical ways to those who are desperate for hope and for love. Help us to be Jesus to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.